please fill out your pink sl or your moth uh, slips in your bulletin and pass them as you collect the offering this morning. Also, we have all these programs going on uh, during the week for your edification and growth in this gospel. And also, too, the harvest. Share with the harvest uh, is our food bank and that we're bringing it to ICT Wichita that gets the food out and distributed to those who can't afford. And then also to the treehouse ministry that we enjoy giving to, especially for mothers and uh, that can't afford for their little babies that they can have the needed items that are necessary for a child. Also, if you look on the back of your, I didn't get a slide in here, but on the back of your worship folder, there is a date there that we'd like you all to think about, and I believe it's November 13th. Uh, we are going to have our um, the board from the uh, Reformed Church in America come down, and they're going to talk with us and then also have a vote on leaving the nomination. And whether you're a member or not, we would love your support to come and share that. And some people are talking about even putting together a dinner that night, but it will be at 6 o'clock on the 13th of November, and uh, possibly we'll have more uh, stuff for you next week. Um, the Lord's ki loving kindness indeed never ceases, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Steve, would you like to read to us the history behind Jesus, what a friend to sinners? Let's stand together if you can, or remain seated if you enjoy, and just sing together. Jesus, what a friend to sinners.
You know, when I close my eyes and replay the week that we just finished, I realized how many times I fell into sin and and just fell short of what God expects of me. But fortunately, if we take those to him and confess them, he will forgive them. Please join me in this morning's prayer of confession. God, you know us, and we come before you seeking your forgiveness and mercy. You know the words we spoke this week, the attitudes of our hearts, and the motives behind the actions we took this week. As you know, some of it wasn't so great and God-honoring. Forgive our foolish ways and restore unto us the joy of your salvation that our guilt has choked. Help us overcome our sinful ways and live like you in all our ways. We ask this in the Savior's name, Jesus. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning is from Colossians 1, verses 21 through 22. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Our guidelines for living is also from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Thank you, Scott. Let's continue in our worship and let's sing How Great is Our God. Yeah. 
be seated. At this time, we'll receive our morning tithes and our morning offerings. When the roll is called up yonder, it's written by James M. Black. He lived between 1836 and 1938. When a poor young girl heard the answer to the roll call of a young people's society because she had died of pneumonia. When marking on her absence, Mr. Black spoke of the sadness of anyone being absent when the names of called of those risen from the loss of his life. The book of Revelation refers to the Lamb who survived in chapter 3, 5, which says, He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. Revelation 21, 27, speaking about the new Jerusalem, adds, Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is sinful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what a privilege it is and what an honor, Lord, that we have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that you have given us that because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross to provide for us a sure thing to be called on that day. What a blessing that is, Lord, that Christ would do that for us and for you and your love to send him to do so. And so, Father, we're so grateful for that wonderful eternal gift and thankful Lord also for all the other blessings and things that we have in this life that we uh, would not otherwise have without your blessing and so we give you thanks Lord for homes for families for loved ones for all the wonderful blessings of this life Jesus in your name we pray Christ amen Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, today we are so grateful for the wonderful blessings of life that you've given to us. We thank you for the wonderful hope that we have in Jesus Christ, and we thank you for this life and for being born in a great country where we have freedom, we have choices, we have so many blessings 
God, you're just so wonderful to us, and we just can't thank you enough. And today, Heavenly Father, we want to pray for our leaders of this country. Before, Lord, we ask you, Lord, that as these uh, midterm elections come, that, Father God, you will bring about a change, Lord, and we pray especially for our government right now, and it's many things that are going on, things are topsy-turvy, they seem to be. And we ask you, God, that you will pour forth your hand of blessing upon America as we usually sing, God bless America. We need that, Lord, that prayer continually. And we ask you for that. We pray especially, Father God, for our president and for Congress and for the judicial branch as they balance each other out in our society. We pray also, too, Father, for the men and women who bravely put their lives on the line every week for us in this past Week and a half, Lord, we know what that's about, and we've lost a, a, a Deputy Carter in that car accident on our way to a call. We ask you, Father God, that you be with her family and for all the friends and family and the colleagues that knew her and how faithfully she um, performed her duty um, and lost her life in doing so. We pray, Father God, especially that uh, you be also, too, with others who serve uh, our community, fire, police, EMS, who put their lives on the line to bring safety to us and security in this wonderful land. We pray also too, Father, for those that we know in our group that are shut-ins. We think of Bill, we think of Evelyn, Lucille, Karen, Kay, Joyce. As they battle with their um, not being able to get out like they used to and be able to hemmed in in their homes, we just pray that you'll be with them. I pray also, too, for our friends that we know that are addicted to drugs and alcohol. We think of Ryan and Jordan and David and Eric and Ricky and Mitch and others that we know in our families and friends that battle these monkeys on their back. We pray also to those who are sick amongst us, for Nick. We pray for the Gum family, and we pray especially for Daniel and for Samantha, Mama, for healing for their cancer. We think also, too, of Betty's sister, who uh, Elaine, who had surgery this past weekend, that you bring healing to her. We pray also, too, Lord, <clears throat> for the road armors and for others that we know that are struggling right now. We pray also, too, Father God, for our church as we go through this transition period. I just pray that you'll honor it, and, Lord, that we uh, can come out and honor you, Lord, with the way we stand and how we do it. Not only the stand that we take, but that we do it in a very strong Christian way. We pray for other things that are going on in our world, and we think of those who are um, struggling, Lord, in their lives, whether it's a marriage that's a difficulty, whether it's a troubled child. There's a lot of that out there, Lord, and we just pray that you will <clears throat> be with parents and give them wisdom, that the wonderful values that you've given to us through your word can be invoked and that help children to get on the path, Lord. And now, Father, we also pray for administrators and teachers in our school systems and those who are struggling, Lord, to be able to provide good education, but also to strengthen their character and help them to move forward in their lives, Lord. Just give them a patience and strength, Lord, and wisdom to know what to do in such circumstances that can be problematic. I just pray for them, Father. And now, Lord, I just pray that as we open your word that you will speak to us, that we need to hear it, what we need to hear, and that we can come away from here changed and free. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Dwight, L., Dwight Eisenhower once said, no victory can come at bargain basement prices. And as we had heard several years ago from Michael Novak, who was the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. Human Rights Commission, he said, we're living now in World War IV. He said, you may debate me about the Roman numerals, but he says, we are living in a world where terrorists make their attacks. After September 11th, the, the huge billowing smoke coming out of New York City, he said, there is all kinds of attacks that have been going on, and we've now become aware of it. Rogue nuclear states, bioterrorism, anthrax attacks, cell sleeper groups. These are all words now that have become familiar with us. Even an IED, an improvised explosive device that we all Americans wind up seeing people get hurt and wounded by. And then he said, today the warfare is different. We need new ideas and new values in which we can do it. Osama bin Laden said it well. He says, in our culture, we love death, and so we're not afraid of it. And he said, you Americans love life, and so therefore it's easier for us to get a hold of you. Novak said that the war, as our president said, is not over there anymore, it's here. And it's come to our doorsteps. And there's no way like a football team who bends their defense in order to break the offense. It doesn't work that way. We're living in an age where the warfare is strong and positive. And as we know today, the Bible speaks about another warfare that we go through. And that the person who runs the warfare does not play pretty. Just like our past enemies we spoke about here a moment ago that uh, Michael Norvak spoke about. And what we find is, is that his ways are diabolical. Just like the young man who came to me one time who was a young MBA. He just graduated. He prayed for a woman that would be godly in his life. And finally he got one. And after 10 years of marriage and two children, he was weeping in my office. Because what had happened was he fell to Satan's trap. He wound up getting in the prestigious firm that he was with and wound up succumbing to the temptation of sin and winding up having an affair. And now his life was broken. Even though he was prestigious firm that he worked for, he was broken inside. That Adam and Eve, who was tempted by Satan, so was he. And he lost a lot in the process. Today the Bible speaks to us. And it speaks to us about how easily systems and our own selfishness and sin could easily bring us down. <clears throat> Paul the Apostle is speaking to Corinthians here. If you remember that Corinth was a very sin sinful place. It had the God, <clears throat> Aphrodite was the god of, of Corinth. And it was sexual sin that was great in that city, but there was all kinds of sin. In fact, if you were taught to be a Corinthian, people would look at you for the second eye because they were afraid of what kind of diabolical things you could pull off on them. And the Corinthians, Paul went to and they led a church and got people coming to Christ and they began to change in their lives. But they had troubles right off from the back because of their backgrounds and sin. 
And so the Apostle Paul <clears throat> works with them. As he sees Satan work on them, they, they begin <clears throat> to have dissension in the church. Then they have problems with sexual sin. Then they have problems with being themselves carnal, which is trying to live in one world as a Christian and live in the other world in the worldliness. And he speaks to that. And he speaks to situations that they had that even the pagans didn't have. For instance, that they had was <clears throat> incest in their fellowship and how they needed to discipline the man who was doing that. And then the Apostle Paul had six questions that they wrote him, the Corinthians did while he was away from them, in order to help them dealing with their freedom in Christ and how they were to eat idols. And they could eat the food of idols, but if somebody is offended by them, one of their weaker Christians, they should do it. And he also talks about how we are free men as Christians and that we don't allow anything, any sin to make us a slave to it. And then in chapter 10, he talks about how Israel easily fell into ruts and how easy it is for us as Christians to fall into sinful ruts that can destroy our fellowship with Christ. And so that's where we come to today. And last week we talked about the temptations that come, but how God makes a provision for us. Look at in 1 Corinthians chapters 10, 12. He says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. But with the temptation will provide the way to escape also, so that you will be able to endure. Now the Apostle Paul wants to make sure that the children of God know what's going on here. He says to them, very plainly, if you see somebody fallen, don't mock him, don't laugh at him, because tell me that the, the difficulty is that any one of us can fall in that same temptation. And so don't if you think you're confident enough to stand against the devil, don't believe it because you're going to have troubles. In fact, don't set yourself up as a Christian because the things are going to happen to you that you will be surprised at the temptations that will come into your life. And that know this, that no temptation is common just to you. It's to every man. All of us suffer from different temptations. One thing might be for one person, but another thing. But temptation is there since the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve. And he says, though, realize this, that God is faithful to you. If you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, God is faithful to you, and he will give you the victory. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. He knows your bursting limits and he will withhold anything that you can't handle. He will put it around you. But if you are being tempted by something, God knows you can handle it. And you need to come to him with faith and victory and you can claim the victory. And so he says it won't be beyond your reach to gain the victory. But he also says that God will provide you a way out of that. But you need to take it. You, so that you can endure through this life. And this life, will Jesus was continually hounded in his life for temptation. And he withstood it. And because he withstood it, you and I can because his Holy Spirit lives within us. But now, the Apostle Paul comes at us with another angle to it. He says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. 
I speak as to wise men. You judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which is blessing is sharing in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread which we are breaking and sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we are who are many are one body, for we are partakers of the one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who ate the sacrifice sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a sacrifice to idols is anything and an idol is anything? No. But I say to you that things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in the demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and partake both demons. Or do you we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? And here the Apostle Paul is saying, look, you can't play both sides of the fence. You cannot go back to your old idle ways. You cannot live in idolatry. And some people say, well, how do we live in idolatry today? We don't have idolatry. Believe me, we do. In fact, the Apostle Paul hits on a strong note that people went back to their old ways of life because they were following the patterns of their idolatry. And they were trying to blend the two. We call that in our society today syncretism. But that's not true. You cannot live for Christ as he says, and take communion with Christ. And the, he's drawing this beautiful illusion from what happens when you and I take communion. That when we take communion, something special happens there. That you are saying, I am Christ. And that Christ, as I consume, he is a part of me. And that his coming to the earth radically changed me, removes my sin. And washes me with the blood of Christ, which is the juice. And that he imbibes in me now. And that I cannot be part of something else from the perfect one. And so if I'm doing that, then I'm not really true to Christ. And that I'm kidding myself. And we're invoking the jealousy of the Lord. Because he says the demons dwell in these places. They sit side by side and want to fellowship with you. And he says to us, be careful what you do. It's not a problem to eat food offered to idols. That was not the problem. He says the problem is when you sit down in a ceremony with the pagans and you worship these idols, you are being imbibed by them and you are being grabbed by them and pulled back into your old way of life. And it's easy to become back into the old drawing back of those idols. And you see, that lifestyle in Corinth was so exciting. It's so tempting. It's so passionate. And, 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 and what Paul is saying here, don't let yourself get drawn back in and sucked back in. And it's not something outward. It's what happens within your heart. If you don't watch yourself, you can draw drawn back into that behavior. I remember a beautiful young girl that we worked with in New Jersey. She worked at the 7-Eleven down the street from the church and I got to know her and we had some folks get to know her and they began to draw her in and she comes to know Christ as Lord and Savior as a gay person. 
And she leaves her lover. And I can't remember. It's astounding. The day when we went to go get her clothing and stuff out of her apartment, um, which was above a bar where her gay lover was the bartender, it got to be pretty intense. And here I am standing in between these two girls about ready to duke it out. And the whole bar is around chanting on this second floor apartment. And when she left her lover, her lover was angry. And so were all her friends. And you see, she would work in the cashier at the 7-Eleven and all these folks would come by and they would continue to hammer on her and continue to work on her. And it was her dad's store. And I said, you need to leave there because they're going to draw you back in. And sure enough, they worked her and worked her and drew her back into the lifestyle. It was tragic because she knew the difference. She knew Christ and the freedom that she was having, but the attention and the care and the friendships that she was getting from those persons was too hard for her to break in her life. And she went back into that lifestyle. She got sucked in. And she had a wonderful personality, wonderful heart. But the atmosphere around her, the hammering, the folks getting on her, drew her back in. You see, sometimes we can't recognize it. And that's why I encouraged her to find another job. But she couldn't let it go. And she was drawn back in. There are things in our own lives, Lord, that, that the Lord shows us that are pay idols. Sometimes we don't think they are. In fact, we even have jokes about them, some of them. I remember when I was in high school, I was so much into sports. I loved football. I loved baseball. And I just thought about these great heroes like Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris and all those folks. But I remember I was convicted one day after I had given my life to Christ that there were times I think I said, Dave, is, are, is that more important than Christ? Is that more important to Christ in your life? And are you giving more attention and thought about those things than Jesus Christ himself? I can see it today, how easy it is to get sucked back into that because we know that Aaron Judge was trying to beat Roger Maris's record and Babe Ruth's record and did it. I see it with my friends and myself getting involved in the sports today, and it's great, and it's a wonderful blessing from God, but it cannot hold my heart and mind. That's all I think about. And sometimes it can get to be that way. It's very subtle, and it can take us away from the will of God. The same thing with any hobby. I've seen people lose their families because their hobbies became more important than their family or for their God. I've seen jobs. My job has sometimes become more important. And I see that now. And there's sometimes I don't because you become blind in the addiction of it. And that we need to have people pull us aside and say, Dave... You think that's too much for you right now? You've been out too long, too many times, and you're neglecting your family or your friends? How many times do we see TV sets become the idol? 
We get lost in watching TV and it robs us from the beautiful relationships that we have because we're too busy caught up in the show. And the Bible here says to us, be very careful. Even your grandchildren, which are wonderful things and they're blessings of God, but if you put them number one in your life and all you see is them and you worry about them and you think about them, that has become an idol in your life, Dave. You've got to change that. And so the Bible here says we've died with Christ. Our center focus should be Christ. And that we should look to Him and think of Him. And that we should glorify Him in enjoying these things, but not so that they take over our life and our life patterns. We see addictions. One of the saddest things today that we have is we have so many that are addicted to their cell phones or the games or the video games that they've neglected. I know a fellow who was 35 years old who quit his job so he could improve on his video gaming so that maybe someday he could win for his family. Delusional. And tragically, it's destroying our children. I was talking with a person who works in the school district. And he said something to me that was very peculiar. We were talking about kids in the school today, and he was telling me that in some of the grade schools, they have rooms that they've taken everything out of it because of the behavioral problems children have, so they can't pick up something and throw it at a teacher or a para. And that... <clears throat> Their behavior sometimes gets so bad that they even punch the para or the teacher. And he said, one of the things that is very sad, he said, one day I was talking to a parent about her child and his behavior. And she said, well, just give him a video game. That'll calm him down. That's the problem. The video game is more important than the interaction and learning in the school. No, 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 no. That's where we put our foot down. And this is what we need to do as a society. We need to help young people. We need to help our world to see that they, we don't put litter boxes in bathrooms at junior highs. That's stupid. That's treating and teaching insanity in children's minds of delusion. And yet it's being done. It's a mind form of pain that we're creating in these children. And we think, oh, that can't happen to us. How many of us were totally blown out of the way? Well, we heard about Jim Jones that moved from Indiana to California and then to Guyana, got people believing to him that he was the Messiah and winds up getting 900 plus people to drink Kool-Aid. If that is not from the devil... In his system, then I don't know what is. But that's what that's all about. And it can destroy because, you see, Satan is a liar. He's a murderer, the Bible says. And that when we find ourselves giving ourselves over to his thinking, and this is what Paul is concerned about, that it's easy to slip back into that old idolatry and let things and People and stuff becoming the way between us and God. 
And there's a lot of things that can become that idolatry. How many people I know, Christians, who call their friends because they're having some problem with either a kid or a, a, a spouse or something, and they look for advice from them that are not believers. And they give them the advice and they say, oh, get divorced. Oh, throw in the towel. Send the kid off to boarding school. All those things. The Bible talks about that. The psalmist says, not to sit in the counsel of the ungodly. Not to sit in the world's way. But rather listen to the word. And to preach the word and sit on the word and live it right the way God's intended to it. And yet we see that happening in our world today. And sometimes it even looks great and religious, like David Koresh, another one. It's all demonic. It's the system of the world that draws you in and draws me in to try to take the glory from Jesus Christ. And so Paul then lays down some principles. Helpful principles that, especially in personal situations that the Corinthians were dealing with. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. He says three powerful things. There are things we can do, but will they profit me? Will they edify me and the people around me? Are they good? And will it be good for my neighbor? That each and everything that you sold in the meat market without questioning for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord and all that it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without questions of conscience sake. If anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who has informed you and for her conscience sake. I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another by his conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Now, Paul here is speaking about situations like being invited to an unbeliever's home or party. I've been invited to a party this afternoon for a football game. And <clears throat> Paul is saying here to his believer friends, this is how you work it. There are people who don't believe here and that are from pagan world. And it's okay to eat their food, be part of that. But don't do something that will provoke God's anger towards you. We don't act like the world. We are in the world, but not of the world, Jesus said. And this is what Paul is trying to stress. How do we as Christians go to a party where there's believers and unbelievers? And how do we act? We don't break any of our moral values or rules. But yet we do participate in the fun and excitement of the party. And there's nothing wrong with that, Paul says. And we don't alienate ourselves or alienate other people from us. 
This is the danger sometimes that happens in Christianity. So many times we've seen Christians who dropped out of society because it's too sinful. The Bible says for us we're in the world, but we're not of it. And how we can keep the balance is so critically important as we live amongst the heathen. And how we communicate ourselves and how we live and hold ourselves in the society that's worldly-minded. We don't attack, we don't, we don't take on the world, sinfulness. We still live the straight and narrow, but we get integrated with them and we love them and show them Christ's different way. And we keep our commitment to Christ. And see, this is where Paul turns to practical terms now. And if you notice in the passage, he talks about the unchristian and you eat their food they present to you, you enjoy the time. But if you have a Christian that comes up to you and is somewhat bothered that you're eating the food of a pagan or it's been offered to idols, don't eat it to offend your brother or sister. But live in the contest of giving glory to God. This is what his point is. That we do it for God's glory. You see, Jesus said it to us. He said, go forth as sheep. Innocent. That's the way we're to live. In the midst of wolves, Matthew 10, 16. And that we have this wonderful bridge to mark to a world that is lonely and broken. I remember in college, my roommate and I were strong Christians and we wanted to be part of the scene we didn't stay home on Friday night and pray in our closet. We were hanging with some guys that were pretty rough. And they decided to have a group, and they started a group called Tapakega Beer, TKB. That was our, what do they call that? Not sorority, but our, um, and anyway, it was, was Tapakega Beer, and we didn't drink. <laughs> but what we learned to do because we liked these guys and we hung out with these guys. We were bouncers at their parties and we ministered unto them. And I can remember some of the Christians saying to me that were snooker drunk, why don't you just take one beer? Because they wanted me to validate their getting drunk. I wouldn't do it. No. We had a good time at the party, but we're here not to let you get your hurt yourself. And that we'd have people confessing sins to us that maybe we didn't want to hear, but we were hearing them anyway, and we were trying to help them see how Jesus could forgive that. But that's the stuff we have to do. We're in the world, but not of it. All things are lawful to us, but not everything is going to take us captive. And I can see that with my friends and how we tried to help them see beyond the party spirit. See, beyond not to have to get themselves loaded. And what it took is being able to say, you're important to me and I'm concerned about you. That's helpful principle that Paul is showing us here. That the principle of unselfishness, we're not here for our sake, we're here for you. We want to help you get closer to Jesus. 
And if that means me standing around for three hours watching you get sloppy, stupid, drunk, and act like a, a crazy man, we'll do that because we care about you not hurting yourself. And that for you, the Christian, we want to be a good example to you so that you don't let down your love for Christ. We want to be an example to you. And so that's why Paul comes then and gives us these helpful principles, but then gives us the overall principle, the overriding principle, and that is, comes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31, where he says, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as also I please all men in all things, not pleasing my own prophet, but the prophet of many, so that they may be saved and follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And here's a great principle. Paul says, the Jew who doesn't believe in Christ the Greeks that don't believe in Christ, and to the believer. My commitment is to not give you any reason why you will not give your life to Christ, any reason why you would fall into sin. My goal is to lift you up and edify you, to get you closer to Jesus. And the way I live my life, I will not do anything deliberately to stand in the way between you and Christ. And I want to encourage that with the lifestyle I live. The Bible even says it in Paul in 2 Thessalonians where he says that we won't even put on the appearance of evil. That I won't do things that even look like I'm sinning when I'm not. But I don't want to put that appearance on and give anybody an excuse to sin or to not trust Jesus Christ. But that I do everything to glorify God. Everything. And one of the things then we see with Paul here today, he's saying it's the glory of God. And what that means to us then, the proof that we truly love Jesus is that we want the best for others, and that means God. We want their best first, not our way, but their coming to have the best in their life. That I am not threatened that they get ahead of me but that I trust Christ. A true Christian desires the best for others. That's what Christ did for us. He left the portals of freedom and safety in heaven to come to this earth to be capsulized into a body so we could be, have the best for us. A true Christian also desires to see that person who doesn't know Christ come to know him as Lord and Savior. And doesn't want to be a barrier into their lives from them coming to know Jesus. Doesn't want his life to be looked at as hypocrisy, but truth and love. And he desires to be the example of Jesus in their lives to glorify God. You know, it's interesting. We used to watch on football. They've done away with people who walk into the stadium with John 3.16 or hold up the picture of John 3.16. And a lot of people don't even know what that says, no less what it means. 
And yet, you and I, as believers, are basically the Bible people read. That's what we are. They may never pick up the Bible that's bound, but every time they see you live and act in the way you do, you're the Bible that they're reading. You're the Jesus. This is why Paul, when he says, follow my example, as I followed the example of Christ, he's not being cocky. He is saying, this is the way we need to live. That when your friends see you and how you act to your family, to your friends, in situations, that they see Jesus' actions coming from your life and that you are walking with him. And that they see that in you and that God is being glorified in the actions you take. And I know sometimes that's very hard. Paul has just laid out to us six different things in those gray areas that we struggle with, that whether we should do it or not do it. He says, all things are lawful to you as a Christian. God has created this earth and enjoy it. But you need to ask yourself a question as a Christian so you can be that Bible. Is this going to bring me more freedom in Christ by doing this? Or is this going to make me a slave? All things that are lawful will this be a stumbling block to a fellow believer or a non-believer? Or will it be a stepping stone to them get closer to Christ? Will what I do here, will it build me up as a Christian? Or will this take away from my influence? Will it take away from my integrity in doing it in Jesus Christ? Will what I do to please myself or am I doing this because I want to please Christ and glorify him? Will this win somebody that's lost? Am I taking part in it to Christ? Or will this turn them away from Christ? You know, Ray Kroc was the founder of McDonald's. And he was a strong Christian by his friend's account. But a reporter one day asked him, what are your priorities in life? He said, well, I believe in God and my family and McDonald's. He said, though, when I get in my office on Monday morning, I reverse that order. How wrong he was. Because he should have been building that umpire on the glory of Jesus Christ. Yes, he was successful. But that gives people the wrong ideas. We got the new years coming down the road in several months. And when we look at that new years, people make decisions about resolutions of what they're going to do different this year. And it was interesting, I was reading a poll which was taken, and there was a whole bunch of things Resolutions about health and fitness was high. Then the career. Then their personal growth, 
financial growth. And it delineated down to the family. And there was never a mention of God. And the question the scripture asks us today is what's your priority? Are you going to do everything that you do in the audience of one almighty God and do you want that ever you do with that work that action to bring glory to his name and that you be the person who honors and glories him and that people will see you and say man I think I just was in the presence. That person acted like Jesus. Will they say that? Will they ask you the question, what makes you so different? When their lives are confused and spilled over the carpet and they see Jesus in you filled with truth and grace. Let's pray together. Father, I pray today that as we live in this world of great temptation how easy it is to slip into patterns of living that are not pleasing to you that worship ourselves rather than you we ask you Christ today as you promised you would help us to live for you and that everything we do Everything we say will be for your glory and honor and that people will take note and see the great witness that we have. Oh Christ, thank you for such love that you have. It's in your name we pray this. Amen. Please rise for the benediction and then our closing song like peace. And now the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, shine in your hearts to bring his light and salt to the world that's in so much need of his love. Amen. My peace I give unto you. It's a peace that the world cannot give. It's a peace that the world cannot understand. Peace to know, peace to live. My peace I give unto you.